Welcome to Shot Callers. This is Dennis Postman, your host, and I am granted the pleasure of being with Vicki Gumbleson, and she is the owner and founder of Coto Insurance and Financial Services, Coto Financial Inc. Um, Vicki is also a retirement specialist and is an Orange County five-star wealth manager, a master elite IRA advisor, a financial fiduciary, and also she's an international best-selling author. Um, Vicki has continually received the national recognition as a qualified member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. You may also know Vicki um, from the show, The Real Housewives of Orange County, which as of 2019, she's been on for 14 years. Um, but I know Vicki as an amazing businesswoman, always a fun time to talk to, and also a good friend, I consider her. So without further ado, it is an honor to have you on the show, Vicki. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Been a long time, Dennis. Five years, we've missed each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing how how caught up we we get in our businesses and whatnot and in life. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time, and uh, excited to get back on track here. So, me too. Um, Vicky, I'm going to start out with how I start out each one of these uh, videos, and what, can we go back and can we start with you telling us your story, how you got into business, how you became an entrepreneur, and share some of the bumps in the roads for some of those people who are scared out there doing it themselves. Yeah, it's actually a great um, story. At 21 years old, I got married, and at 22, I had my first child, and at 23, I had my second child, and at 27, I was finding myself divorced. And I was the girl that was going to be the housewife. I was wanting to have children and be at home and just be the great mother. Be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> right. I just wanted to be a housewife like my mom. And life took a little bit of a turn. And I actually wanted to get some life insurance on my soon-to-be ex-husband. And my girlfriend had just gotten in the business. She also was a single mother. And she said, why don't you consider selling life insurance? We can do it together as girls. Um, you can still work for your dad's construction company during the day and at night you can sell life insurance. And I thought, well, okay, why not? So I went and did the classes and took my exam and I passed it on the first try. And I'm gonna, anyways, um, so I started working for a company called Western Southern Life Insurance. It was a debit business um, in you know, the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. Yep. And the first thing they did was they gave me this debit book from Cabrini Green which is like the worst place possible for a woman to be at night collecting debit businesses. Um, so what you were supposed to do is obviously churn them into, instead of $5 a week, $10 a week, and let's up your insurance. Yeah. And I came back with all these policies and my manager's like, what are you doing? We don't get anything like this from our guys. Yeah. And I said, I just asked if they could pay $10 a week versus five and yeah. let's double their insurance. And so I ended up being on the leaderboard right out of the gate and I was this, uh, my girlfriend ended up quitting. And so I was the only female in a group of 40 men and I would sandbag all my um, policies till Friday. And then I'd go on the board and write them all down. And all the guys were pissed off because they're like, how are you doing this? You work full time for your dad and then you have children and you're sandbagging these policies. And I blew them out of the water and it was just really incredible because I could make my own paycheck. So I was right out of the gate, all in. Um, three weeks after I sold my first policy, through the yellow pages, back then we didn't have the internet, we didn't have a cell phone. Our cell phones were the size of our desks, you know? And um, I was going through the A's. My manager said, when you're, when you have nothing to do, just dial for dollars. I'm like, I can do that. Dial for dollars. And I got this guy on the phone and he said, I said, do you have life insurance? I'm just calling people in your area. I've been able to help some of your neighbors. 
And he said, actually, I don't. I've got three little children. Um, my, my, my wife would kill me if I spent any money on this, but I'm going to go ahead with it. So I went out and met him at his job site. He was a contractor. Signed the app. We got approved um, like four to five weeks. Three months later, his wife called me and she's like, we found your business card in my husband's wallet. He was just killed in a motorcycle accident. And I was like, I'll be right over. So I drove to her house and she said, who are you? Do we have life insurance? And I said, I actually uh, just insured your husband three, three weeks ago, three months ago. And she's like, am I going to be okay? I don't work. I have three babies. And I said, we bought 500,000. Your house mortgage is 87. I padded it because I want to make sure we cover his salary of 60,000 a year. And we still are friends. And that was 30 years ago. Oh my God. So that changed my life. So the cemetery is filled with people that never expected to die. That was where I ended up saying I was home. And yeah. 31 years later, I'm still doing it. Wow. That's, yeah, that's it's a little awesome. Bit different now we don't do it, you know, dollar for dollars. We get the internet, we get our other, other ways of attracting clients. But yeah. I think really for anybody that thinks it's an easy business, it's not. Yeah. You and I know it is not an easy business. It is not for the faint hearted. Um, I'm super conservative when it comes to spending. So I know there's going to be bumpy, bad months and I have a reserve always. So, yeah. you know, from there, you just kind of do your very best. And then I got on a TV show and, you know, and there we go. <laughs> well, the good thing is, is you find out, it's funny because you find out how much, you know, you, you wanted to stay at home, be a housewife and whatnot. And you just started added, adding the responsibility. Really is I'm in a high-rise building in Irvine, California. I've got an office in LA. It's like, what happened? Yes, you know? yes. And I love that you go back because so many people now, so many entrepreneurs now are complaining Ooh. about, you know, trying to get leads, trying to do this. You know what? If you're willing to put in the hard work, I mean, yeah. we can talk, tell some old school stories. You know, you talk about GPS and what that did. For I had to people. MapQuest and to page 32 down go through the grid. I, there was no GPS. Yeah, and what no about GPS. before MapQuest when you had to go and get like a county map and be like. I had the Thomas guide. It was this thick and I had to find the county and then do this grid and go down. I was like, what am I doing? I'm on the side of the freeway on the, you know, Eisenhower by myself in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was not fun. So if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? Yeah. And, and you know what's beautiful about it is is people don't understand how much work it takes to get to that overnight success. They just see the glory days. Everybody sees the glamour. Nobody sees the grit. You know what I mean? A lot of grit. A lot of grit you and I do, right? Yeah. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know about you. I love what I do. No, I, I wouldn't have it any other way either. Absolutely not. So, I mean, when, when did you, just going back to that, when did you decide, okay, you know, working for a captive company, because I've done that, you know, when did you decide, okay, wait a minute, if I go out on my own, I can not only give my clients better products, but it, it leaves me more versatile. And yes, it's a huge step, but now I'm already to the point where I know what I'm doing. What, how did that transition happen? What, what did, how did it go about? I, guess. I know the exact day and I know the exact time that that happened. Um, so I was in Illinois. I was now 32 years old. I was working full time in the industry with Western Southern Life, I became a manager, trying to mentor other people that were trying to come in, male or female. Um, and I wasn't paid a salary, it was strictly all commission, but I was able to quit my dad's construction job during the day doing book work and just sell just life insurance. Um, I'm gonna let everything go right now. So, you know, I'm like, oh, there's a bird over there. <laughs> so, um, I'm gonna turn my volume down because 
I'm like this all the time. So um, I met a man named Don Dungleson. Those of you that have watched the show, um, I married him at 32 years old. And he actually told me, if you want to get married, we have to move to California. And I'm like, I'm a Chicago girl. I am not going anywhere. Yeah. And I sat down with my mom and dad. And my father's like, you know what? Look at it as an opportunity. You're getting married at 32 years old. He wants to really kind of take care of you and your children. And you won't have to work anymore. I'm like, cool, I got this, dad. So I asked dad, I'm like, what do you think? Do, you, do I need to work again? He's like, no, I make my 100000 a year. We'll be good in California. I'm like, okay. And I was there three days. And I got a brand new minivan. To me, it was brand new. It was green with the sliding, you know, panels on the side with the door. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And it was five years old, but you know, that's what we could afford. And I decided to head out to a place called Costco. You know, everybody knows Costco now, but yeah. I didn't know it from Illinois. My girlfriend down the street said, you got to go to Costco. And I said, well, I don't know what that is. And she's like, you can buy food, you can buy basketballs, you can buy, you know, linens, groceries. Anything you can never imagine is in this one place. You don't have to go to all these different stores. I'm like, okay. Took my van, went out there, brought Michael and Brianna. They were seven and eight. They're now 33 and 32. And they were in the carts. And I'm like, oh my God, this place is incredible. I'm buying basketballs and roller skates and pool, you know, wiggle worms and everything I can imagine. The cart right. was loaded. In fact, I had two carts. And I put it in this brand new mid minivan to me and shut the doors. And I thought, oh God, I don't work anymore. And what's he going to say when I get home with all this stuff? I mean, I bought ice cream and popsicles and corn dogs and anything I could imagine. Like a dream come true, right? <laughs> and he beat me home from work. And I was panicking. I'm like, oh my God, he's not gonna understand this, you know? Because I've never shopped like this in my life. And I, I, I think I wrote it in my More Than a Housewife book. It was a Costco story. And I opened up, you know, the back and I said, hey, look at I found this great store. I can get everything I've ever imagined in one place. And he looked at me and he said, we don't shop like this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we do. I've always had my own money. I've always managed my own money. Put my money into this house with him. And week one of In California... I was a mess. We got in a horrible fight. He said, you take everything back. And I called my dad. I said, I want a divorce. I cannot be under the thumb of a man like this. And he goes, no, 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 honey. You don't get a divorce. You go off and get your license and you go off and make more money than him. And he will never be able to tell you, you can't shop. So I ended up putting everything in the cabinets. He left for about three days, said he wanted a divorce because of my Costco story. And I called him up and I said, listen, I'm going to shop, but I'm going to go back to work. I'm never going to have this again. I will meet you halfway. You'll go with me to Costco if you want, but I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to buy my own groceries. He said, I never want to go to that store and we don't need this stuff. It's just stuff. And I said, actually, it's food, <laughs> fruit and meats and everything. He goes, I eat frozen pizzas and tuna fish. I go, well, not anymore. You don't. <laughs> I love to cook. So I'm like, we have, you know, stuff on the grill and we're make, I'm making homemade cheesecakes and I'm just like the homemaker. So little by little, um, I started my own business and that's what got me in doing it myself. Yeah. I didn't know where to go in California to work for an entity that I didn't want to be captive anymore. I wanted to run my own show and work when I want to work and go on vacation. I bought a house in Lake Havasu. And um, so the moral of the story, fast forward 20 years, 
I divorced him in 2010, filed for divorce in 2010. Um, too much conflict all the time. It was always about money and it was always about my children. He didn't, he didn't like my children and that's a big deal breaker for me. So my kids were in college, he still didn't like them. He called me Miss Samsonite because I had baggage. I'm like, no, they're kids. <laughs> so moral of the story is I had to pay him alimony at the end of this marriage. What a change of events, right? So he got a forensic accountant in my practices and my businesses, and he was able to prove that he was um, entitled to this lifestyle that I gave him. And um, I remember that Costco story and I thought, hmm, where would we have been if I didn't pursue, pursue what I wanted was to be independent financially? Um, you know, it, it hit me hard financially when I, when I gave him that big seven figure check. Yeah, I'm sure. But now I'm, you know, we're now three years out. It took me six years to get it finalized. Lots of attorneys, lots of a friend of accountants. He's a good guy. He just wasn't a good husband and together we weren't good. So, right. um, I don't want anyone to think like he's a, he's a bad guy. He just, he just should have never probably been married. He was 42 years old, getting married for the first time, never knew how to share. And now he's 66 and he said, he'll never be married again. He just doesn't like to share his money. He's very conservative and he's sitting fat and happy with, you know, a couple houses paid for and his boat on the river. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I'll work my 12 hours a day and I'll get back to you in a minute. Yeah. Um, so, so that was kind of the role of how life changes. And, you know, the interesting part of life is you never really know what's going to happen at the end. Right. What would you say for the business owners, the people in business and the entrepreneurs and, and the executives who a lot of them don't understand the importance of life insurance and don't understand the importance of retirement planning? And so before we get into other things, I want to talk about that. And, and you obviously shared a story about life insurance. I always think that's always put on the back burner, retirement planning and life insurance for business owners and for entrepreneurs. Um, I'm going to give you one, another quick story because I think stories are super important to relate to all over, right? So yeah. I did a workshop about eight months ago in a beautiful restaurant, paid $50 a meal, as I'm sure you know, it costs us a lot to host these workshops. Yeah. And um, this gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said, I love everything you said, but I hate annuities. And I said, then I hate annuities. If you don't like annuities, I don't like annuities. If you like the stock market, I like the stock market but I'm not selling annuities, I'm selling a plan. And he goes, okay, well, if you won't sell me an annuity, then I'll come in with my wife. I said, okay, that's fine. We will not talk about annuities. So he came in 68 years old, a physician down at the hospital here in Mission Viejo, ER physician, worked a lot of hours. I said, when do you plan on retiring? And he said, you know, I really don't have a date in mind, but let's say 70, let's say 70 to 71 when I can have to start taking my RMDs and when I, Think I can maximize social security and I thought okay I said do you mind if I ask you some questions and we just do like an intake on, on you and let's just see if we're on the same page and he said sure so I started asking him a question I said life insurance do you have life insurance and his wife was sitting there she was 62 um, last year at the time and she said yes yes we have life insurance on him and he looked at her and goes no we don't my tenure term canceled last month and she looked at me and she goes he never told me that and I said, well, how much coverage did you have? And he said a million. And it was a 10-year term. I bought it at you know, 57. It expired at 67. I don't need it anymore. And I said, how much money do you make? And he goes, 
250 to 275 a year. I said, well, that's a nice paycheck. Asked her, what do you make? And she said, well, I'm a retired teacher. I get $3,200 a month in my pension. And I said, what would happen if your husband didn't bring home that $275,000 a year? And she said, oh my God, I, I, we would be devastated. We're, we've got credit card debt. We um, bank on that check every month. And, and she said, I, I, don't, I don't know. And she goes, I have no idea how much he has in his 401k. He doesn't share finances with me. And I said, Ev, is there a reason why you're not sharing anything with your wife? And he goes, I manage it all. And I said, what if you died? What would happen? And he's like, she'll probably have to go live with our daughter in New York. And she goes, are you kidding me? Our daughter in New York is in medical school in a little apartment. I'm not moving to New York. And they got into a fight. I said, you know what? I'm going to excuse myself. I'll be back in 10 minutes. They were screaming and yelling. She had no idea that he didn't take care of her financially with this life insurance. So I came back in and I said, listen, I'm going to give you my recommendation. You could take it or leave it. I said, let's just get an application and to see if we can get you insured. And he's like, fair enough. I, I said, I think you should cover at least three to five years of your salary. And then your house will be close to being paid off. She then can go move with her daughter if something happens. And I said, you really need about $3 million of coverage. And I wrote up the prices and he's like, that's too much. Let's go in with $1 million. I said, okay. Um, just to you know, this is not guaranteed. We're going to go into underwriting. So it goes into underwriting. He comes back preferred plus. I had actually put the app in for $2 million not knowing where he was going to be settled and presented both to him. And he said, I want the one. And she's like, one will be fine. That'll give me 200,000 a year for five years. And I said, okay, 1 million. So we accepted 1 million. She called me. Um, this was in January. She called me. The policy was in force in August. So from August to January, they had paid their monthly EFT premium. And it was about 300 bucks a month. Okay. So, Okay, so so August, September, October, November, five months times three. So they paid $1,500. He had a massive heart attack and died in the ER um, in January, right after New Year's. She called me and she's like, I, I need to tell you, I died. And, I'm, and I just literally, like, what? And she said, yeah, massive heart attack. You just got approved preferred plus, no signs whatsoever. Can I come in? And I said, yes, come in. I'm a, my lights are on. Anytime. So she comes in, she's a mess. And she said, we don't have life insurance, do we? We only paid $1,500 for that coverage. And I know there's a two-year waiting clause. And I said, no, that's not true. He got approved preferred plus. Everything was disclosed. There is no two-year waiting. You will get a million dollars tax-free. And she was hugging me. Why doesn't everybody do this? Uh, I'm going to come in with the death certificate in a week or two. I said, I'll process everything. Just come back in. So she came in. And she also came in with a stack of bills like this. She goes, look what I found in his office. Gosh, yeah. 20,000 of credit cards, 50,000 of credit cards, 100,000 of credit cards. He was a freak about spending money he didn't have. So I said, bring him in. Let's pay everything off. You, you're getting 20% interest, 25% interest on all these cards. She said, I had no idea. And she goes, we lied to you about the house being paid off in five years. She goes, we're mortgaged to the hilt. We live in Laguna Niguel. He wanted this ocean view. We can't afford it. Um, they had a $900,000 mortgage balance. Oh so I said, well, if I would have known this, you should have disclosed this to me. I would have made sure and had him sign that he's going against my 
recommendations to cover that mortgage, cover five years of salary, on and on and on. And she said, well, we didn't know, so what do we do now? And I said, well, you're going to have to sell your house. You're going to have to sell your house. Right. And we're going to get you on a budget, and you're going to get an, into an annuity where it's going to give you lifetime income. She said, okay, I don't want to ever worry about the stock market. I'm totally different than Ed. And so we did. We put 500 into an annuity. It's giving her about 30000 a year income. Uh, sold her house. She got into a little condo. She's got her pension. And that's it. So those stories, when you change somebody's life like that forever and ever and ever, will resonate in me all day long. And when the people that don't listen to me, I get so, so mad. Because yeah. we know more than them. We yeah. know what we're doing. Yeah. Just listen to me. And maybe because I'm a female, they don't want to think I know more than them. Maybe it's an asset. Maybe it's a, not an asset. I don't know. But somehow I've got stacks of files all around here, people that didn't listen to me. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I get to those people yeah. other than continuing telling them stories? They're just stubborn. You know, this guy over here, I was planning an $800,000 annuity. Tomorrow he's coming in with his girlfriend. He's in Wells Fargo, all in stocks. I created an income plan for him, um, moved over half of it. And then the other half was staying in the market because he loves the market. He calls me last night. He says, my girlfriend wants me to stay with Wells Fargo. Really? Okay, good luck. Yeah. No more communication. I mean, it, it's like, I, I, I don't understand the mentality of an income plan and the stock market. I just want to know how being in the constant spotlight or being so well known um, has helped your career. Is it helpful or is it a detriment? And the other question is, how do, what advice do you have for people to deal with that? Because, um, I, honestly, it was one of the most intelligent conversations I've ever had about life insurance. And then you, um, you know, have to step out of that mode for a second and you came back right to it. And we're like, okay, where were we? So, it's, like I have a, it's like I have a two different heads on me. Like, which, which conversation do you want to have right now? Absolutely. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. You know, it, it is hard. Um, and it all depends upon what season I'm in. Okay. Got <laughs> so you. When, when Bravo, at that time that I was dating Brooks, who I believe you met, right? Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. yeah. So he was my bad boyfriend that I left my husband for, basically, because he was filling up my love tank and he was telling me everything that I wanted to be in life was beautiful and smart and I'm a 10 talent woman. I mean, he was filling me up from Southern Mississippi. I mean, this God just had it down. Yeah. And then he said he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And of course I believe him. I'm like, what do we need to do? I'm here for you. I'll take you to, you know, City of Hope. I'm going to do everything. Come to find out he didn't have cancer. And he scammed me of hundreds of thousands of dollars, medical bills I was paying him so he can pay PayPal to you know, get this scan done. And I, it was just this huge scam I was in. So the viewers turned on me, many of them turned on me and said, how can you be an insurance professional when you are in on a cancer scam? I'm like, I got scammed. I was in on it, I got scammed. But the viewers and the way that Bravo edited it, we were the all time high four to 5 million viewers normally we're one and a half to two million okay doubled viewership lots of turmoil lots of trauma lots of controversy against me because of brooks so that has now been four years later yeah. but that that four to five years when i was dating him was the funnest time of my life but it was the most volatile time for my business because the viewers were concerned on am i an ethical advisor yeah 
that was that was tough. And the real reality is, is no matter how great of an advisor you are and how good you are at what you're doing, um, if you're a target, there's nothing that can happen. Yeah. You're, you're not bulletproof either. You yeah. know what I mean? And 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 you want to give always be optimistic and give people the benefit of the doubt. So it, it that could happen to any of us. I mean, so. Um, I mean, for it, for getting through they, it. Didn't know, they didn't know the truth. I knew the truth, but the way that it was projected. So, so my business was, was bumpy during that time. You know, it was bumpy and I just had to keep pushing on because I know, I know me, you know, yeah. they didn't know me. They saw me through a TV screen saying, oh, okay, well you have this big business, but you're in on a cancer scheme. I'm like, no, I was scammed. And I had to keep persevering that news was reporting about me. I had, uh, everybody in their planet. I had news trucks outside when Brooks revealed that he would never had cancer, that he was caught into this lie, trying to have sympathy and he couldn't get out of it. Yeah. I was wild. on 2020. I was on, you know, Mario Lopez's show. I was on ETV. I was on access Hollywood. I was on every news station you can imagine. And wow. at the end of the day, it was his word against mine that I knew about it. And that was horrible. That was a, that was, that was being tested by my good old Lord above, you know? So, um, and he didn't want to go down by himself. So of course he's going to attach you to it. Wow. Well, huh? He was a scam artist. He scammed me for money. And that was a way for him to do that yeah. is he, you know, he didn't have insurance because he said he couldn't afford insurance. And so everything was cash. So I'm, I'm paying his child support and get keeping him out of jail and paying these fictitious medical bills. Wow. It was, it was, I look back like, am I an idiot? And I'm like, no, I was stupid and in love. And I thought that, you know, he was all that. Yeah. Wow. Well, what? Another story, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's the best way to get the point yeah. across. I mean, yeah. what advice do you give? So obviously you persevered, you got past that, your business is doing great. Everything is going great. Uh, you know, what advice do you give business owners who face adversity? Because I think a lot of them think it's all sunshine and rainbows. Like you just start a business and you're just going to get there and get the fancy car and everything's going to be great. How, what advice would you give them about facing adversity and getting past it so they don't quit or give up? Right. So I think for me, um, I always knew that I wanted to be successful and I never wanted to work for anybody. I'm not a good employee. I'm a good employer. I can have the best employees. I have a good staff. Um, but I knew the alternative was to go work for somebody else. Right. And this personality, somebody tells me that, you know, clear your desk at night. I'm like, no, I'm keeping it all out because I know where everything is yep. um, or anything. Or somebody telling me you're only going to make a hundred thousand a year. Are you flipping kidding me? Yeah. No, that's what I made 30 years ago. Yeah. So when I think about quitting, when I think about, uh, you know, going the easier route, there is no easy route. Yep. It, it is, it is hard work. And I think another thing that I want to tell business owners that are, wanting to quit or wanting to get in the businesses, surround yourself with successful people. You and I are successful. We're a magnet for uh, top-notch quality people. Yep. I've had, you know, feeling sorry for people and employed them and they were the wrong employees. Sure. So I think for me, not being partners with anybody is super important to me. I've had a partner in the past that stole from me and, you know, cooked the books. Can't do that. So I'm a one-man shop in regards to ownership. And then I'll hire my team below me. So totally those, that, those of you that are contemplating being a partner, you might work more than your partner. And how are you going to split the profits? How are you going to split the income? That's going to bug you, right? So yeah. 
for me, I can't be partners. It rarely, you know, it rarely works out. I'm glad you said that because um, I came from an environment where there were two bosses and, you know, depending on who you talk to, they were partners. You get whatever answer of the day, you get a flavor of the day over here and a flavor of the day over here. And that was in our industry, the financial industry. And you know what, when I decided to open up my own place, I'm like, can't do it. There's got to, your buck has to stop somewhere and it's got to be a direct answer. Who yeah. does it? And then if I'm working 18 hours, guess what? I reap the rewards. That's the beautiful thing about business. If, if I work 18 hours and my partner works four. How can you ask? Yeah. yeah. Not good. I, I love what you said about surrounding yourself with good people because we can bounce ideas off each other all day, completely different side of the country, and we can both reap the benefits. It's about your network and Absolutely. surrounding yourself with successful people. So that's a yeah. very good point. Because the bad people can drain you. They can, oh. they can smother you and they can leech from you and they can hurt you. Um, and But if you're with good people that really want, I want you to be so successful. I want you more successful than me. I wish you the same for me, you know? So if we have that same in mind and we can continue to do our job really, really well at a very high level, we got this, you yep. know? But if we have somebody dragging us down under the water, wanting to like smoosh us, it's like, go, just yeah. go somewhere else um, and, and, and leave me alone. But that's the hard part. Our minds can yeah. play tricks on us, right? Absolutely, yeah. Enough, I'm successful. I've, you know, what is my real job? Is it a, is it a TV actress? Is it a, is it a financial advisor? At the end of the day, when I lay my head down, I'm a financial advisor and I, I'm, I can run my plans up against anybody. So um, TV just was a little bit of a, an asset for, you know, a period of time. It will end someday, yeah. um, but it, it's been a great ride. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's neat that you don't have to give up on your love to also enjoy other things in life. Right. I mean, right. that also comes from the backbone of you didn't start in the financial industry yesterday. No, you no. had a base way before you ever were on TV right. and it's continued to carry through and you constantly right. work. I know you work just as hard as me and it's all day, every day. So, I mean, it's funny when we're shooting emails back and forth about when we're going to do this and whatnot. And um, I'm like, I have a half hour right here. This is the only half hour I have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, Okay, well, we'll make that work. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. Um, just one last question. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to the Vicky who started her own business however many years ago, what would it be? Ooh, um, I think, first of all, to have a really good business plan, a good marketing plan, you cannot go door knocking. You cannot go through the white pages like I started. You have to have a really proven system on how you're going to attract those clients, whether it's through workshops, postcards, internet, you got to surround yourself with a marketing company that can feed you those leads because you're going to burn through them super fast. Yeah. Um, example is my son, 33, graduated University of Colorado Boulder with a psychology degree. And he realized he didn't want to be in the psychology industry. Right. Uh, he didn't want to be a psychologist. He didn't want to be working in a you know medical facility or anything like that. And he was out looking for jobs and he called me. He's like, I kind of think I want to sell life insurance. I'm like, what? You know, he's like, well, mom, you were Friday afternoons going to the river. You were at every baseball game. You were at every cheerleading competition. You were present as a mother, but you showed us that working hard will give us a really nice lifestyle. So I thought, okay. Um, 12 years now in the business he is and he finally turned the corner 
and he's making about 40 grand a month working from his house in Pacific Beach, working four days a week, three days a week, internet term life insurance selling. So I said to him, you need to come into the office more from San Diego to Irvine, and you need to know more about what I do. And he goes, why do I want to be stressed out? I'm like, okay, I'll get right back to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. He's a millennial, you know, they don't want stress. They want to just do what they want to do. And, you know, he'll wake up at 10 a.m., make 30, 50 calls, sell half of them, go take a run on the beach, go surfing. Like he's just, you know, he's got the life O'Reilly. I'm like, yeah. okay. So internet term life insurance selling, no residual income, but it's a day job. Most of us have a day job anyway. So right. I've kind of been telling him, you know, you need residual income. It's like, mom, my friend down the street that works for Zillow doesn't have residual income. Yeah. And so if you think about that, you know, eventually he might want to layer on some PNC and other things down the road, but he's super happy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if he's happy, I'm happy. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And one thing too, that I think that you're very good at, and I tell all the people who work with us too, all our, our agents and advisors, a lot of people that I work with don't understand why we constantly get leads, why we, uh, uh, track referrals and why all those things come our way. The reality of it is, is you have built a brand. Kodo and Vicky is a brand. It, it, so you are so established. And so I think a lot of business need, owners need to understand you have to build a brand, not just, not just be out there working with people. It's a brand. Right. right. So. Exactly right. So yeah. My girl just told me my appointment's here. Okay, um, no problem. Okay. I, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Do you have anything to add really quick? Well, we have a lot to talk about after this, but I want to say I'm so proud of you. I mean, really, um, sincerely, I'm just so proud of you. It's good to know you. I just um, adore you, and I, I think the world of you. So keep keep killing, killing it and taking names, right? Oh. Yes, thank you. And I appreciate everything you do. And I appreciate okay. you. Thank you that very so, much. And so let's stay in contact. I uh, want to talk to you about, you know, just different things. So I wish you the very best. Thank you, Vicki, very much for being on okay. the show. We appreciate okay. it. All right. Take Bye. care.